Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. Hey everyone, Dan Kelly here with State of the CIO Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. I know you're going to get a lot of value out of today's episode with Sammy Basu. Hi, Sammy. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Lovely. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. Good. Sammy is the founder of Careful Security, which is one of the top cybersecurity companies in Los Angeles. Sammy, I know you're passionate about this field, so I can't even think to do you justice of explaining how you got into this field, what makes you passionate about cybersecurity, and kind of who you support now. So I know the audience would love a quick introduction. Right. I got into cybersecurity in the early 2000s. I was a system and network administrator. And then as with everyone in IT, we asked that question, what am I going to do next? And at that point, I had an epiphany that let me get into cybersecurity because it seems exciting, this world of hacking and hackers. And I liked reading detective novels. So I'm like, yeah, I can figure out what the bad guy is up to. So It was a combination of what next in your career, as well as like a personal fantasizing of how the world of cybersecurity person would look like. That's really great. And I know just in our previous conversations here, you've protected assets ranging from video games to high net worth individuals. Is that right, Sammy? That's right. Yes. I have worked for high protected financial assets for high net worth individuals in Goldman Sachs. Then I protected information for millions of policyholders for State Farm Insurance. And then I got into fun company, EA Sports, where we developed video games. And my job was to test those applications and make sure they have been securely developed so that people cannot get fake coins. Because in the gaming world, the fake coins has a lot of prestige value. So FIFA was one of the most popular games, and that was always under attack. You know, just because the side note here is people attack things that are more popularly used, which is why sometimes Windows has more attacks than Mac systems, just because the range of users are much wider. After EA Sports, I joined Warner Brothers, which was also a very fun experience, wherein all the cream of the content was the unreleased movies, unreleased TV shows, Game of Thrones, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Harry Potter. And so building security controls around it and then seeing it on TV and big screen and then walking through the studios and then identifying, yes, I know exactly where this shot was shot, you know. It means a lot to people who work for studios, but it doesn't mean much to people outside of studios. So, Yeah, I think people are really fascinated by it because everyone understands the need for security. But I don't think a lot of people think of a CISO in the entertainment industry protecting a movie like Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, which there is a massive global following. Talk to me a little bit about that. How is that experience different from your other experiences, perhaps? That's a great question, Dan. So... You know, one of the things about security is that we have to identify the nature of the business. Like I have also had small gigs for government and financial industry, of course, which I mentioned. So security is absolutely built on the culture of the company. When I worked for a bank or like a high net worth client like Goldman Sachs, you could have your say, your system was locked down. Back in early 2000s, when I was working, you're not even allowed to access internet from there. You're not even allowed to access personal email from there. 
But for a company like Warner Brothers or EA Sports, which are full of creative people, developers coming up with crazy ideas to come up with fun, wacky games or, you know, screenwriters, editors, they value their freedom. They value their privacy. So you cannot lock down their systems. So the challenge becomes a little different in nature. What I mean by that is the attitude of security in a government office where you do this, otherwise you're not going to get access, cannot apply in a creative, free-minded people who will object to the concept of their privacy being violated. Yeah, I totally get it. I think of, I think one of the most wonderful companies ever created within the animation industry, which is Pixar, and telling any of those people that you aren't allowed to read personal email and stuff like that. You have, you have, I think the whole company walk out the door. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Warner Brothers obviously is one of the amazing companies as well. So it's all about the stakeholder, isn't it? About the different level of controls. Yeah. That's like the first thing. So. Like security is typically saying no to people. Like, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do this. But how we say no is really important. You know, sometimes we cannot say no. So then you build up other technical controls so that you can intercept an incident before it spreads throughout the organization. So in an environment which is locked down, you have a lot of control over the end user's device. When you don't have them, it's a different challenge. And also, another thing that's important is the rules and regulations of the land and the industry. So some companies, you cannot intercept users' traffic just for monitoring for security because it's a violation of the law of the land, which says it can come under wiretap rules. Yep. So a security professional, in summary, has to be a creative person. I feel security is where art and science converges. So there's no one cookie cutter approach that will work for every company. It makes perfect sense. I think that's a great platform for my next question I just came up with because, you know, we have a little thing called COVID-19 happening here. And I think about it from a security standpoint, I have some key questions for you because on that same premise, right? Security would be great if you could just lock down everything and you just worked in a skiff, had no access to the outside world and you just worked in a skiff. That'd be wonderful. That's not reality. Right. especially today. And your explanation of working in the entertainment industry, you know, for movie creation parlays into what should companies think about now, now that you have so many new endpoints out in the world, because everyone is working remotely. What are the biggest risks facing organizations right now? And what can they do about it? Right. So the short answer is zero trust or segmentation. You have to segment your personal from the professional, especially now when people are working from home, they have this work computer. And sometimes people use the work and personal computer as the same thing, which is not recommended. But look at any home in America these days. You have your smart devices. So IoT, you have your smart TV, you have temperature control through Nest appliances, you have your doorbell through Ring. So that is one attack vector. We just install it thinking it's doing its job. But also, when you connect those smart devices to your Wi-Fi, then you are connecting to the same Wi-Fi for your work, as well as you know your kids' 
your family members, they are connecting to that same Wi-Fi for social media or, you know, looking at blogs. So that's where things start merging. This is from the side of the client, from the end user. So they have to ensure that they have segmented their network. And it can be sometimes. So we bought this house in Burbank, where I live. And we bought it from an elder lady who had passed away, but she never had a dog. Mm-hmm. But on the backyard door was a big sign called Beware of Dog. <laughs> so Great deterrent. Right? It's a deterrent. So if there's a thief going down the road and they'll see a sign with Beware of Dog and a house that has open doors and windows, everybody wants to get their job done quickly, you know? So does the hackers. Yeah. So the important thing is remove the low-hanging fruits, like do the basics. So right now, I would encourage your listeners to go ahead, look at your modem, router, Look at the access point, like log into your router and see if you have your firewall enabled. Do the simple things. See how many devices are connecting to your home router. You'll be surprised. You may think like, yeah, I have five, six devices, but there could be as many as 20, 30, 40 devices. So let me pause you real quick right there, Sammy, because yeah, I think you just said something that I personally have multiple devices and that is required by my clients sometimes to use their actual hardware. So whenever I travel anywhere, I've got two backpacks full of computers. Sometimes it feels like, right? A little bit of exaggeration, but you catch my drift, right? Right. But what I just was reflecting on is not a single one of those companies, and these are very large multinationals, okay? Mm -hmm. Not a single one of those companies have actually told me to do what you just said, which it makes perfect sense to me, what you just described. But essentially for the end user, aka Mm -hmm. the consultant, employee, whatever, to go and do something to their own home network to ensure the privacy and security. As simple as that may seem to you, I don't think, at least in my world, that is not being requested of me. That I think is brilliant. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just wanted to share that because, again, the majority of our listeners are CIOs. I think it's a good wake up and reminder for them to say, hey, maybe we should go ask our employees to be diligent because most will do whatever you tell. You know, they just don't know. It's not their field. Right. And, you know, I also feel like if you call up help desk these days for your company, you have any IT issues, they are very supportive. They'll fix your computer if your computer is crashing or behaving weirdly. I think that same service should be extended to their personal devices as well. Because in this world of BYOD, bring your own device, if users are using their own computers, which has been hacked, which is not patched, you know, which could potentially have malware, and if those users are then using those devices to connect to their official corporate network, they are introducing this kind of vulnerability into their corporate network. So... I would encourage the CIOs to think about how they can extend their IT help desk support because not everybody would be familiar with locking down the router and segmenting their home networks. Right. Right. So extend that support or provide clear instructions so that employees can follow that. Right. This is really helpful. Yeah. All right, Sammy. Now, I know the audience is interested in some key takeaways from you because we don't have many cybersecurity professionals on the show. We'll change that going forward. But I know when we started talking before the podcast, before we hit the record button, we're talking about the six key things that companies should be doing right now, especially with having everyone working from home or remotely, whatever that looks like for them. So would you mind sharing what those six key items are with the audience? Sure. Yeah. It's based on my research and my analysis. The first thing is secure the human link. 
in most of the incidents that have happened, the entryway for an attacker has been to fool the employee into clicking on something that they should not be clicking on. So despite all the latest and greatest hardware and software, if your users are not trained on the latest security trends and concerns, then they will be happily oblivious of what they should do and what they should not do. So my question to CIOs is, are you providing a relevant security training to your employees? And what I mean by relevant is not just going through PowerPoint and just clicking, answering questions, but something that they can do on a day-to-day basis to reduce the risk of your organization getting breached. Because as much as the hackers target the human beings, it's the human beings at the same time who notice something is not right. They may notice, my computer is behaving weird today. It just keeps resetting itself. This program keeps crashing. Why is it running so slow? Is there a malware on my system? So that's why you need to train your employees on the key indicators of when things go wrong and the key indicators of how things can go wrong. You know, some people ask, how many people are in your InfoSec team? So if it's an organization of 2,000 or 5,000, they may say, yeah, we have like 20 to 50 people in our InfoSec team. But that's not the right answer. The right answer is you have 2,000 to 5,000 people in your InfoSec team. All your users are part of your security team. So security has to be every employee's responsibility. So don't overestimate the tools capability, right? And also don't underestimate the power of human rationality to identify a potential issue. Exactly. Yeah. And then hold people accountable. Even after taking the training and even after you telling them, like, don't do this, if they keep violating your rules, like they'll set up some rogue access point or they will set up some kind of backdoor proxy so that they can go to sites that they want to go to, they have to be made accountable for those non-compliances because they're putting the entire organization at risk by being rebellious and not agreeing to adhere to the policies. Right. Okay. What's the next one? The next one, similar to the first one, is secure your passwords. In today's day and age, each person has an account at least on 50 to 100 websites. So how do you make sure that all your passwords are distinct in each of the sites? Like, how do you make sure your corporate password is different from your LinkedIn password or from your social media password? So the way that a lot of informed users are doing is by adopting a password manager. Because if we don't have a password manager or like a UB key or two-factor authentication built in, then we'll have to manually remember those passwords. So we'll naturally make those passwords easy to hack, being against dictionary-based attacks, but also they can be hacked by password reuse attacks. So at this point, I will encourage all your users to go to a website called haveibeenpawned.com and enter your personal email account or any other email account you would like to see. And then you'll see that, yes, I'm sure you will get to see multiple sites where you had an account was hacked recently. So the attackers have a password dump of all the user's name and password 
Now, if you're using the same password for your corporate network, or if you're using the same password for your bank account, you're accepting all these risks. So use a password manager, use multi-factor authentication, and keep rotating your passwords. And don't use the same password in all different kinds of systems. Like keep your personal, professional separate. Right. Real quick on this point, Sammy, two questions. One, could you repeat that website for people? I can just hear people saying, what was that website again? Could you just repeat that again? Right. The website called Have I Been Pond, H-A-V-E-I-B-E-E-N-P-W-N-E-D.com. Great. And personally, I can say, you know, just like everybody, I probably have 50 passwords out there, like these different access points to all the different various aspects of my life. I tell you what, Sammy, I would be nearly lost if I didn't have Chrome remember them (laughs) for me, right? So I wanted to get your feedback. When you say password manager, I know what you mean by that. And we've got Norton, et cetera. But what do you feel about Chrome as a password manager? I don't think that's necessarily what you mean by that. But what do you feel about web browsers remembering passwords? Yeah, I'm strongly against it because if you go into your Chrome and then you grow into preferences and security and passwords, and then you click on them and you can say, show my passwords and your passwords will show up. So what that means is if your computer gets hacked for some reason, then an attacker can see all your passwords without having to go the extra mile. So I have seen people who save all their passwords in Firefox or Chrome. At the same time, they would save their passwords in a text file on the same computer. So we need to isolate this, have some kind of control built in before your passwords are revealed. Right. At least some sort of two-factor authentication, right, Sammy? Something like that? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sounds good. I'm personally reflecting. I think about all these random personal websites that I go to. You just you can't ever remember them. It's just always such a pain. It's a good reminder even for myself to just use our Norton password manager that we use for our business versus personal and professional life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, nowadays the personal and professional are converging so rapidly. I had a recent client who came to me who was like, I got hacked. You got to help me. I have changed my computers. I have changed my phones. I've got the latest antivirus software. I mean, I looked at her computer. She had like three or four kinds of antivirus software. But then she wasn't doing the basics. She wasn't changing her passwords. So now if the attackers have her passwords, it doesn't matter how much security controls or software she puts, you know. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect. Yeah, exactly. It always comes down to the basics, doesn't it? And I imagine one of your points here is going to talk about phishing emails, but that's just a guess. But I I think we're on number four now is the next one. Is that right, Sammy? Yeah, you can say so. My question to the CIOs and the listeners is, do you know where all your assets lie? Do you have an inventory list for your hardware? Do you have an inventory list for your software? And most importantly, do you know the value of your digital assets? Because security, at the end of the day, is an exercise in risk management. Like you mentioned, Dan, you know, if I lock down everything and I don't go to any site, then I'm secure. So similarly, before you apply security, check the value of your asset. For example, if your asset is worth $1,000, spending $5,000 of software and firewalls on that asset probably won't make business sense. On the other hand, if you have an asset that contains people's personal information, financial information, 
that if it gets breached will not only put your company in non-compliance but also make you susceptible to paying huge fines because of negligence because of lack of due diligence so we put in controls accordingly so if you have a database which has all the sensitive information then you really need to spend beef up your security budget and your controls around protecting that information but if you have a public facing images and files stored in some random server which is publicly accessible to anybody and everybody hackers will probably not look for it they can find it on the internet so knowing where your assets lie and the last thing i would mention this is as this is more relevant to companies who have been in business for a long time like 20 30 40 years because they would still have some of these old vulnerable assets and this is something i see on a regular basis on the perimeter of their network those assets have been forgotten because they don't bring any more business to the company but the hackers love those assets those systems which have an open ftp channel or a windows server 2000 which has not been patched in the last 15 years because they are a entry point into your internal network they can hack those easily and then get into your internal network you know same what you just shared i think are two amazing insights and i don't know if that was all the same points of the six points or there's two different ones but i tell you i don't hear many cybersecurity professionals explain what you just explained in such a pragmatic way and i don't think it makes the security companies real happy to hear be pragmatic around what you're securing if the value is low right they'd love to secure everything but I think it's so important what you just described. Understand the real value, intrinsic or not, of the assets you protect. Obviously, PII data is of the utmost security, especially if you're anywhere in the healthcare or financial services industry, right? Right, right. And then this technical debt thing you just brought up, I think is an amazing point because yeah, you're totally right. These companies that are legacy companies, we all engage in every day. they all have massive technical debt that sometimes just the change cost for whatever reason you know is higher than they'd like to accept and so they just keep this stuff up and so not securing those legacy pieces of software or hardware with the same level of security that could be an easy backdoor can it semi right 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 and i would recommend to companies that have such huge technical debt one of the risks in the reason why those systems are still out there is because they don't know if anybody is accessing those systems if they bring it down will there be an outage to the company so they can always check the logs the user activities on those systems and if they don't see any recent activity the first thing that they can do is isolate the system and see if anyone screams if nobody screams for 3 months to 6 months then probably nobody cares about that system <laughs> so <laughs> We use the same approach when we right size a client's contract. You know, they say, "Oh, we've got 5,000 users, but we've got 5,000 employees and we've got one license for every employee." I said, "So you're sure all your employees are using it?" "Oh, well, we're not quite sure, but you know, I don't want to screw anything up." We do the same thing. Try turning it off just for a couple of days and see who screams. You know, it's risky, but if you're able to tolerate it and if it's a non-critical application, right? It's totally an effective way to identify if it's just a bunch of baggage. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Like not taking any decision is also a decision. Okay. 
So what number are we on now? Are we number five? You know, I think we kind of covered number three, four, and five. It's basically the next thing I would talk about is scan your assets continuously for potential vulnerabilities and have a process in place for triaging what the scanner finds and patching these systems because those are your low-hanging fruits. And hackers are lazy in a way, just like us, or they would attack the low-hanging fruits first. So patch your systems. At your company, Careful Security, which, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned, but you were the founder of, which is great. Um, do you help identify the proper solutions for clients depending on their specific needs, value of assets, et cetera? Absolutely. You know, security is built out of three parts. It's people, process, and technology. So the first thing we do is we understand the business processes instead of just, you know, slapping some firewalls and antivirus on their systems. So we understand how business is performed on a day-to-day basis. Then as we observe this, we identify the risk points. You know, if you have a customer support process in your business and your customers are opening emails from end users or by sellers, buyers, so that's a risk. You are getting emails from external people. And then there's a risk that, as you mentioned, Dan, that you may get a phishing email that if you click on that, that may lead to a ransomware attack. And that ransomware attack can spread into the entire organization. And these are not just made up stories. These are things I have seen happen in real life. And it's usually the most attacked people are the HR people, the customer support people, and of course, the senior executives. Yeah. You know, I don't know, Sammy, you have a lot more experience than I do, but just in my narrow view of your space, I'm surprised how few companies actually engage in paying for any sort of penetration tests or even an exercise of sending fake phishing messages to employees just to see how many clicks you get back. I know that's one of the common training tactics that's kind of widely used, but I still see companies not doing it very often. Are you seeing the same thing, Sammy? Yeah, you know, just like you mentioned, the companies are not proactively investing in security because they think it's an additional cost. Like traditionally, security has been a cost center, not a profit center for the companies. But the way, especially in recent times, when the number of attacks have quadrupled, when breaches are taking place in every area of our life, cybersecurity has become a part of cost of running your business. So companies, you know, Dan, like you mentioned, they should proactively scan and do penetration testing, not just for their technologies and servers, but also for their employees. Right. I want to shift gears quickly and ask one of my common questions I ask all of our guests. If you could speak to yourself at the beginning of your career and you could give yourself some advice, what would that be, Sammy? And the reason we ask, again, just to remind everyone is we've had a lot of feedback, which I love from our listeners. There's actually quite a few listeners early on in their career that they want to listen to experts like you, Sammy, and essentially be given a little bit of a guidance on what they should be thinking about as they map out their own careers. So would appreciate any thoughts you have for those people. Right. I would say, you know, there are no shortcuts. You have to do the hard work and then don't burn bridges. Be nice to people. You know, at the end of the day, we are all humans. And then sometimes we get caught up in this corporate internal 
challenges where we feel our interest is being trampled upon by another group with conflicting interest, you know, at the end of the day, it's just business and everybody in our hearts, we want to work together unitedly and support each other. So be more human and work hard. Yeah, that's really sage advice. Not many people actually mention that on the show, the concept of don't burn bridges, because it's a small world, isn't it, Sammy? Right, right. And, you know, you regret it later on, you know, in that state of mind when everybody was under stress. Yeah. Kind of going back to our content quickly, are there any key trends or uh, things happening in the industry, specifically in InfoSec, that you're watching right now that you think will be the next big thing? You know, the elections are coming up in November. And the way things are looking, a lot of people may have to engage in some kind of remote polling. So definitely the key trend that I'm seeing is like cybersecurity is pervading into each and every area of our lives. And the attacks are getting very relevant with the trend of the times. So people should like really watch the news as far as what kind of attacks are happening because when the stimulus check came out, A lot of phishing emails were generated based on stimulus checks. And then, you know, on the Android phones, there was like a malicious app, which was apparently meant for tracking COVID victims, but they were also like infecting your phone as well. It's like cybersecurity has become part of the culture, the trend, and attackers are kind of hijacking our emotions with this kind of phishing emails or, you know, information that makes us jump at it without a second thought. You know, one of my colleagues, actually, he was a cybersecurity professional and he is very, very good at his work, but he got hacked because he had a daughter and he had given the credit card to his daughter because he was asking his daughter to get more adult and like more responsible. But then he saw an email from Amazon that his daughter had brought this expensive laptop and he like, what? Let me check this. And then that was a phishing email. Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you can see it happening too, right? Right. <laughs> Give the credit card to the kid the first time, and you just bought yourself a three thousand dollar laptop. You can see it happening. I could see why he clicked it. You know, yeah. especially if it looked exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It even happens to people in the industry. All right, I want to move to my new question for season two, which I think everybody loves. I have to hear your best worst boss story ever, Sammy. So lay it on us. Ah, And you told me prior to starting the recording, you said you had many. So I'm looking forward to one (laughs) because I've had many as well. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know, especially in the corporate world, and this is especially for people who are starting their career, that it can happen that you may have a boss who wants to be more controlling, who may be feeling threatened for some reason, who may be feeling insecure for some reason. So, you know, don't get dragged into that battle because one of the reasons I have my own company now is corporate politics. It can get stressful. So I would say have a boss that looks out for your interests, that has the best for you in mind. And then there's a weird angle to it. You know, Dan, I practice Buddhist philosophy. And, you know, one of the concepts is like people who give you the hardest time are actually your good friends because they make you grow. So I'm actually in an odd way, thankful to all my bosses who gave me hard times because I feel that it challenged me to dig in deeper and make me stronger. Yeah, 
That's an interesting answer. Yeah. So essentially, <laughs> one, which I fully relate to, anyone that knows me, why I started my own thing. I couldn't handle corporate politics anymore. Complete energy suck. So that was uh, the primary. But you view it also as a growing experience of essentially what not to do as well, right? Which I can also relate to. Right. It makes you, you know, more independent in a way yeah. that your happiness is not dependent on another person. You can yeah. be happy irrespective of how people treat you. Yeah, that's great. In one of these episodes, I'll sprinkle in some of my own worst boss stories. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably save it for the next one. I could do a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> Share one now. Share now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, give, well, give a little preview to it. Yeah, here's one as a preview. I've always been in the IT sourcing world in the private sector. And in one of the companies, which I won't name, I had a manager that was very passive aggressive and also very threatened, just like you shared, Sammy. Mm -hmm. I can tell she was threatened by my capabilities, my results, my products, et cetera, and looking for opportunities to, quite frankly, give me a hard time. And one of the things she did that I will never forget because it was so ridiculous and stupid, she was looking at my company mobile phone records. Mm. So I was issued a phone, as a lot of employees were, you know, not so long ago, even before the concept of cell phones became so cheap and regular. It's almost completely a BYOD <laughs> environment now, right? But I had a company phone and she would send me some notes. Hey, Dan, you know, I see you've been talking quite late at night and these numbers that you're calling are not work numbers. So I'd like to know why you're doing that in the interest of protecting the company's money. Because she thought they were being charged for everything, just as an excuse to give me a hard time. Now, what was so ironic about this, Sammy, is <laughs> I was the guy that negotiated the damn contracts with AT&T and Verizon, which at that time, there was no charge for any minutes being used at all for the company. And so I had to educate her that actually, no matter if someone talks a million minutes or one million, there's no additional cost to the company. But thanks for being a good stakeholder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, though, is like communication gap can be a result of source of conflict, like here, or lack of awareness. You know, I don't know if her modus operandi was to give you a hard time, or she was probably unaware of the fact that companies don't need to pay for those phone calls. It could yeah. be a combination of both. Yeah, exactly. I know the specific personality was more of a micromanager than that of a protector of company assets. So yeah, it was one of my many motivators of extracting myself from that specific company. <laughs> right? <laughs> so she actually helped you <laughs> extract yourself. <laughs> yeah. She gave me one of many reasons to get out of there. Yeah, that's right. Well, this has been a great conversation, Sammy. Any other final thoughts you want to leave with the audience? I would say... You know, something I'm doing personally, especially now we are locked down and not able to, you know, move around and socialize, go for long walks, take a drive. You know, I live in California, so the beaches are nearby, but just get away from your regular environment. It'll reduce your stress in half and get those fresh ideas into your head as well. Right. That mental health aspect, right, Sammy? That's very important. I find myself needing to get out of the house just to take a walk once in a while. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. If people want to get in touch with you, how would they get a hold of you, Sammy? Do you hang out on LinkedIn or email? Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, they can email me at Sammy, S-A-M-M-Y, at carefulsecurity.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn, Sammy Basu, B-A-S-U. And I'm sure, Dan, you'll paste some links as well. So it was great speaking with you. So thank you very much. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And we will uh, put your contact info in the show notes for sure. Hey, listeners, if you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to send me some feedback at dan at the negotiator.guru. Obviously, feel free to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and also give us a rating. We always love to hear from you. We made these podcasts specifically for you. So thanks, Sam. Thank you, Dan. Have a good weekend. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.